are listening to the Redfield Arts Audio Podcast. On the program, The Black Cat Tales. No, I don't like that title. How about Tales of Three Black Cats? Yeah, that's a little bit better. Okay, I'm just going to go ahead with the introduction of these stories, and by the end of them, we'll come up with the title of this collection. Hi, this is Mark Redfield. Superstition. Friday the 13th. Walking under a ladder. Opening an umbrella indoors. I personally have never broken a mirror. I have to admit, though, that as an actor... And uh, particularly in some of uh, the theater work that I've done, there, I realized that over time there were little superstitious rituals that I did do that would uh, hopefully take the weight and sting off a potentially bad evening or performance. Um, little things, and uh, they became very, very important to me. And and they're different from... Every actor has different things that they do, but I came to realize that these were true little rituals, too, and they were very superstitious, and they were to ward off bad luck. One of the things in the theater was that I always, in my costume somewhere, and underwear and T-shirts and socks didn't count, I had to wear something that I truly owned that was really mine. Um, another thing that I did, and I know that this is something that uh, is a very good thing to do um, for stress and nerves and a little little stage fright, I would physically touch an object or a wall before an entrance and imagine that all of my tenseness and all of my nervous energy would be soaked up by this post or curtain or something and then I would sometimes do the same thing on the set if there was furniture. When you, when you touch things and handle props, um, it, it actually does kind of work. Um, so I've had little things like that. Now, of course, the famous one for actors is saying Macbeth in a theater, particularly when you're not rehearsing or performing Shakespeare's play. And it's probably because, um, like a lot of superstitions, there is sort of um, a kind of logical reason behind it. But uh, back in the early blood and thunder days of actor-manager theater companies, productions would often be slapped together very quickly. And um, Macbeth, being a play that um, demands a certain physical stamina, it is a, it's a long distance run. It's not a sprint. And because there is sword fighting in it and violence and darkness. And if you rush anything, well, you're liable to create accidents and mistakes. And um, that is sometimes what happens. And uh, why not? But throwing salt over your shoulder when you've spilled salt? I don't know. The opening an umbrella up indoors, well, that makes sense. You don't want to poke your eye or somebody else's eye out. Walking under a ladder, well, what if the painter or the guy working on the house drops something on your head? You don't want a hammer to fall on you. So superstitions, Friday the 13th, all that sort of thing. And it's quite apparent that Friday the 13th has something to do back in the Middle Ages with the Last Supper. 
Christ and his 12 disciples and the fact that, well, it was very unlucky for him as there were 13 people there. And so the 13th guest, Judas, well, there you have it. But enough about that. I'm curious about black cats and how they got their bad rap. But um, let's start with our first program, something a little bit hard-boiled, um, a show that ran on NBC um, back in, oh, this was uh, 1940s uh, when this series started, called Nightbeat. And this offering, our first of our three tales, called The Black Cat, originally aired on NBC November 3rd, 1950. Now, the series was called Nightbeat, as I said, and the Nightbeat, uh, the main character, is um, a uh, reporter named Randy Stone of the Chicago Star. It was voiced by Frank Lovejoy. Um, Lovejoy was a very successful radio actor, and he worked between the years 1948 and 1962. He worked in radio, movies, and television. And so without further ado, here from November 3rd, 1950, is Frank Lovejoy as Randy Stone in this episode of Night Beat entitled The Black Cat. This is Randy Stone. I cover the night beat for the Chicago Star. Stories start in many different ways. This one began with a Halloween killing and ended with a black cat's sweet revenge. Night Beat, starring Frank Lovejoy as Randy Stone. Yes, Halloween had come and gone, but tonight was still a good night for any leftover spooks, witches, or black cats as the hallowed eve itself. The rain came down like a million little hammers as I sloshed down the street. It was a tough night to be out, but I had to have a story for tomorrow morning's paper, and the public isn't interested if you get your feet wet doing it. Tonight I was digging in the garbage of Chicago for a yard. The Madison District. Wooden houses had leaned crazily to one side. Apartment houses put together with spit and orange crates. Great spot for a cynic. It was on the corner of Martin Street. Two or three shadowy figures stood staring at a big, ugly black cat on the street. It walked around in circles like some demented thing, its yellow eyes catching the light from the street lamp above. An old man was trying to coax it away. To come home with me. I got milk for you. Honest, I have. And a warm fire. You like to be warm, don't you? Well, that cat's gone crazy all the time. I wouldn't go near it if I were you. Yeah, she's been acting like that since she took Nick Corby's body away almost an hour ago. Won't let anyone near it. Well, I shouldn't have done it. Nick won't like Tilly standing out here in the rain. I won't mind too much, Mike. Him being dead. <laughs> come on, Pop. I'll take you home. The cat will come in after a while. They killed him, and Tilly knows who done it. Ain't you going to tell me who done it, Tilly? What's with that old guy? Yeah, it'll, uh, harmless stuff. What about this Corby? 
Went out for a walk with a cat. Somebody heisted him, took his dough, and left a bullet hole in his head. Good exchange, him. Cops get anything at all? Nah, I didn't bother much. Asked a few questions and shoveled them into the meat wagon. I call her and she won't come. Well, well, well. Well, I guess I'll be moving on. Yeah, me too. Hey, you want to know something? Yeah, always. Just to give you a laugh, you look just like him. Like who? You look just like Nick Corby. Before or after the bullet? Oh, I plugged up the hole in my head and started walking away. Nothing here for me. Another Madison Street special. Guy robbed and killed. He'll stay dead, and the man with the gun will go on living. I'd gone five or six yards when I heard someone calling. Hey, mister, mister. Huh? Oh, what is it, Pop? Kitty, Kitty, she's following you. There she is. You, you see her? Well, yeah, so she is. <laughs> Come here, you scrawny thing. Oh. Hey, hey, this ugly old doll's going for me. Oh, she likes you. What's the matter, Tilly? Things are getting tough. Hey, will you pick her up and take her to my place? All right, Pop. All right, where do you live? Right here, the Martin apartment. Okay. Up you come, you black banshee. The feet steps going down. Here, in the basement. I'm the janitor here. Come in and warm up a bit. No, no, thank you. No, thank you. Here's your cat. I've got to get moving. Tilly uh, don't want you to go. <laughs> you had not to. She don't want you to. You tell her I'm practically engaged to someone else. <laughs> so long. I'd like to have accepted the old man's invitation to stay in for a short talk with him and the cat, but there didn't seem to be any room for the three of us. So I walked back upstairs, flagged the cab, and sank down on the seat. But before the driver, something jumped at me and landed in my lap. It was the cat. Uh, driver, just a minute. Now, what is it? I gotta take this cat back. I'll be out in a few minutes. Hello, mister. I'm losing fares. On a night like this, everyone wants a cat. I ain't waiting. Nice boy. Come on, Billy. Mike, here, come take your cat. Oh, she went after you, and I couldn't stop her. She likes you. And when she likes a man, she don't let go of him. That's the way it was with Nick. That's no use. You can't get away from her. Maybe she thinks you're Nick. Oh, you look a lot like him, a lot. I'll show her my birth certificate sometimes. Mike. Uh Mike, what are you doing with that gun? Oh, cleaning it. You got to clean them all the time. They don't work. As a soldier, now I ought to know. You got to clean them and clean them. Look, look, Mike. If the cat won't stay with you, why don't you take it back to Nick Corby's wife? I wouldn't do that. Mrs. Corby's afraid of the cat. She even tried to kill her once, but Tilly was too smart. <laughs> Mrs. Corby tried to kill Nick, too. How do you know? Nick told me. He was my friend. He played checkers with me. And you know what? He didn't call me crazy, Mike, like the rest of them. He'd give me his gun to keep for him after that time Mrs. Corby shot at him. Is that the one you're cleaning now? No. Here's his head. Mm-hmm. Uh, where does Mrs. Corby live? Oh, right here in this building. Did you know? Number 18. Well, maybe I'll go up and have a talk with you. You lock Tilly in the other room. I'll go up and see her. You ain't gonna tell her, are you? Tell her what? That I'm gonna kill her. <laughs> All Mike wasn't going to do any killing with that gun. I hadn't liked the vacant look in his eyes and the tight lines around his mouth, so while we'd been talking, I'd slipped the magazine into my pocket. But it still left him pretty dangerous. So I thought I'd better go up and have a talk with Mrs. Corbett. Who's there? Mr. Stone. 
Come in. I'm so glad you came. Sit down. Thank you. Hey, you don't look like a policeman. I'm not. I'm a reporter. Did the police send you? Oh, not exactly. Oh, I might have known. What's another killing to them when it happens on Madison? Who am I to ask for protection? Who am I to be worried about a crazy man saying he's going to kill me? Well, maybe I can help. Can you bring back my husband? Can you bring him back so that he'll pay the rent every month and see that I have something to eat and a dress to wear? Can you bring back the feeling I had of belonging to someone? That's the way it was till the cat came. That's who killed him. The cat? Yes. He said he was going out tonight. I told him. Now, I told him, go, go, Nick. Now, don't you go or... Or what? Nothing. She couldn't stand seeing us happy. He put his arms around me. That cat would come whining and scratching at me. Hating me with everything in her. Oh, look, Mrs. Corby, you're upset now. Always talking and whispering to each other. Till I, I go crazy mad. Nick stroking her and the cat purring and mocking me. I tried to poison her. I tried to shoot her. But I couldn't. She, she's too clever. Well, the police will get out at Mrs. Corby in a few days. The whole thing will blow on. I told them who did it. They said they'd look into it, but they won't till it's too late. That's the way the cops work around here. I'm kind of confused, lady. Just, just who is it you're talking about? Mike. Mike? Did he kill your husband? Why? Because he's crazy, that's why. Talking soft and low one minute and the next a raving maniac. He'll kill me, too, if the police don't stop him. What's that? You tell me the cat at the window. Get away from there! You sneaking, lying thing of... I'll kill you. I will. You hear? Take hold of yourself, lady. Take hold of yourself. It's only a cat. A cat? It's a she-devil. A scheming, rotten she-devil. Do you get away or I'll throw She picked up the empty bottle and threw it at the window and the cat disappeared. For a few minutes, I thought Mrs. Corby had gone out of her mind. I finally quieted her down. She wouldn't let me leave her at first. But when I told her I was just going to bring the police back, she locked herself in the room and told me to hurry. When I got out into the hallway, old Mike was standing by, an empty grin on his face. Hmm. Carrying on, wasn't she? What are you doing up here? Just listening. I like to hear people yell. Well, you come on downstairs. I want to talk to you. I made some tea for us. I like tea. Mm-hmm. How did Tilly get on? I opened the door and out she came. Uh-huh. Did you want her to scare Mrs. Corby? Yeah, it worked good, didn't it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mike, Mike, tell me, did you like scaring people or is it just Mrs. Corby? Uh, here's your tea. I like tea. Thanks, Mike. Mrs. Corby don't like old Mike. She thinks I'm crazy. You? You think I'd be here talking about important things if I thought you were? Yeah, we got important things to talk about. Yeah. Mike... Why do you want to kill Mrs. Corby? She's a bad woman. Always running around that Mr. Baydell. You know, the one that plays the music. And Nick didn't like that? No, Nick didn't like the music man. He hit him once. Made him bleed all over. Oh, when was this? Day before yesterday. He was fighting about Nick's wife. And Mr. Baydell said, I'll kill you for this. Do you think he did? On a dark corner. In the rain. When nobody was watching. They'd done it to him. I got to kill her for that. And him, too. I'll tell you what, Mike. I'll go down and get the police here, and they'll look after it. You know what? I lost part of my gun, and I can't use it. Well, you won't need it. 
I'm going for the cops. Oh, it takes him too long. I'll do it with Nick's gun. I got it hid for him. Where is it? I hid it good. It's under my bed. It's in this box. Now, let me take a look at it. Oh, it ain't here. It's It's gone. You are listening to Night Beat, starring Frank Lovejoy as Randy Stone. What's big? Well, the Grand Canyon is tremendous. Mount Everest is gigantic. And the big show is colossal. The Big Show, an hour and a half of the very best in comedy, music, and drama. Tallulah Bankhead is mistress of ceremonies, and your stars for this Sunday's premiere include Jimmy Durante, Fred Allen, Ethel Merman, Meredith Wilson, Frankie Lane, and many, many more. The Big Show will be heard for an hour and a half every Sunday on NBC, starting this Sunday. And now back to Nightbeat and Randy Stone. The old man's face went white when he couldn't find Nick's gun, and I could see a crazy rage coming to a boil. I don't mind telling you that I was scared. And then suddenly there was an explosion that seemed to come from the basement window. Somebody was shooting at us. I pulled Mike down to the floor. For a minute I thought Mike had been hit, but he was only dazed and maybe scared. Oh, oh, oh. They want to get me before I get them. Oh, Mike, who? She don't like me, and Mr. Baydell don't like me. Where does he live? Next door, in the room and house. Well, I'm going to talk to him. Don't leave this room and you'll be all right, understand me? Oh, well, where's Tilly? I, I ain't seen Tilly. The cat will be all right. You just stay here. On the third floor of the rooming house, I heard accordion music coming from behind one of the closed doors. I knocked on it. Come in. I pushed the door open. I stood looking at a guy in his middle 40s wrestling with an old accordion. One look and I was sure he wasn't the man of distinction. There was a cloudy glass of muscatel sitting on a dirty table at his side. His tongue was a little thick when he spoke. A music lover, no doubt. I see that your clothes are soaking wet. Just come in out of the rain, maybe, a few minutes ago. Do I detect a tone of authority in your voice? Let me guess. Policeman? No. I'm greatly relieved. They frown so on musicians who slid from concert hall to bar room, from a Steinway to an accordion. Who are you? I'm Randy Stone, Chicago star. Ah, yes, the star. Your paper was kind to me in, uh, in happier days. I dare say you want an interview, uh, one of those what's become of stories. Oh, I'm sorry I can't oblige. I'm composing at the moment. Look, Mr. Paydell, I have a few questions I'd like answered. Ah, but haven't we all? Question number one. Have you, in the past 15 minutes, fired a revolver? That simple? No. Mind if I look around? Not at all. Hmm. Now, what's the use? You could have ditched the gun. Perhaps you'd like to hear my newest work. I'm more interested in Nick Corby at the moment. Ah, lucky fellow. To be shot down, destroyed without a moment's warning. No remorse. A shot, and one less specimen of misery in the world. You rather think I did it, don't you, Mr. Stone? From what I'm given to understand, you're a likely candidate. Poor demented Mike has been talking to you. Do you believe it? I suppose you were composing when he was shot. I've been rehearsing the answer to that question all evening. I know it so well, I could set it to music. Well, I'll take it straight. I was with Mrs. Corby when the news came in. In fact, I opened the door for the policeman. Mrs. Corby will swear to that, I suppose. Indeed, she will. <laughs> I in person, Mrs. Corby. 
Now, Mr. Stone, before you go, perhaps you'd be interested in buying an etude I've recently finished. For one dollar... Uh, sell it to the cops. You'll be seeing them pretty soon. Will you please send one that can play oboe? I've written a variation in A minor for accordion and oboe that goes like this. I don't know. I seem to have a knack of getting mixed up with offbeat characters. They fascinate me like a stage door fascinates some Johnnies. And I get to know what makes a guy tick, even if it means ducking a couple of bullets. There wasn't much doubt in my mind that either old Mike or Mr. Baydell had helped Corby out of this world. And even though they were interesting characters, they were both dangerous, and it kind of burned me up that the cops hadn't done anything about them. Mrs. Corby wanted protection, and she was entitled to it. So I hopped into a cab and went down to headquarters. Sergeant Kelly was playing four-handed canasta all by himself. Hi. How about some canasta? How about a little murder? On a night like this? Now, this is an old one. Three hours ago, Nick Corby. Oh, him. Boy's just finished on him. You got the report? Not a written one, but I know all the stuff. Shot through the temple, very close range. He was robbed. Bad spot, that Martin Avenue. What kind of gun was used? Forty-five. Should have seen that neat, round little hole in his head. Looked like a bomb crater. Mrs. Corby feels her life is in danger and asks for protection. How come she didn't get it? Swanson told me about her. She's nuts. Talked about a cat killing her. Then some harmless old guy she wanted pulled. Some old droller. She's nuts. Well, she asked for something she's entitled to. And that harmless old man, somebody took a couple of shots at him. Why didn't somebody tell her? Well, I'm telling you now. You're going to send some boys down right away? You guys are going to get a blasting from my paper if you don't. What are you all worked up about? A guy was killed, that's all, and a couple of nuts with guns are on the loose, that's all. Our boys questioned them and couldn't see no reason for doing more than they did. Now, be reasonable, Stone. Are you going to get someone down there, or do I start writing? Uh, I'll do what I can. Good. And Randy. Yeah. If, uh, you're going to start writing, be sure you spell my name with two L's. When I got back to Mike's place in the basement, he was gone. While waiting for him, I rummaged around a bit just to keep busy and see what I could find. I didn't even hear the door open, but then... Uh-oh. You won't find it. Oh, uh... Hello, Mike. What won't I find? What you're looking for? Oh, Mike knows. What do you know? He knows who killed Nick. He knows for sure now. Who was it? Mr. Baydale. He done it. How do you know it was him? I found the gun in his room. Nick's gun with three bullets missing. One for Nick and two for me. That's how I know. Let me see it, Mike. I got it hit good this time. That's fine. That's fine. We'll give it to the police when they come, won't we? No. Nick wants me to do it myself. He wouldn't show me the gun or tell me where he'd hidden it. And the look on his face told me that whatever was left of his brain was concentrating on what he was going to do. I ran next door and back upstairs to warn the musician he was gone. Landlady told me, try the bar on the corner. The storm had got a new lease on life, and I was glad to close the door of that bar behind me. The place was empty, but for the bartender and my friend with the accordion. Live one. What'll it be? A little conversation with Shostakovich over there. Tell the gentleman I have nothing to discuss with him. He is not a patron of the arts. You heard him. Mr. Baydell, you've got to get out of here. Then tell the man what my terms are for conversation. 
You gotta buy him a drink. Oh, he's had enough. Yeah. Small subsidy of 50 cents may buy you a piece of posterity through my composition. Yeah, gonna buy him a drink, mister. He gets stubborn. All right, all right, then. Make it quick. Thank you. I will now dedicate to you... Look, Mr. Bidell, any minute now that door may open and you... How could... dare you interrupt me in the middle of a presentation? Well, you, Marimma, you'll get no place. I'm very sorry. Go ahead. Bartell, keep your eye on that door. The piece I have selected for you is a bit of American minstrelsy. Two lovers stood on the corner. Above them, the street lamp shone. A shock rang out through the dismal nights, and the dead man lay alone. Oh, that's just great. Now, listen to me. Mike found the gun in your room, the one that was used to kill Corby with. Ah, that's why they call him Crazy Mike. His retarded mentality makes his hallucinations so very powerful, and all with no aid from Bacchus, the god of wine. But don't sell a guy like that short. They kill a lot quicker than the ordinary person. Ah, listen to that storm. A fine night for death. A fine night for sweet oblivion. Did he show you the gun? No, but I know he's got it. And he found it in my room? Yes. Sweet, faded traitress. She put it there. What do you mean? Nothing. And I'm closing up, boys. <coughs> the tonight. Probably be another power failure before long anyway. All right, if you're smart, you'll come with me to police headquarters. It'll go a lot easier with you if you don't wait to be picked up. No, I may be better served this way. Mike is looking for me? Yeah. Then I shall walk home slowly from the same corner under the same streetlight. Complexities may become peace and the struggle ended. Yes, I, I like it this way. Look, mister, you're a sick man, a very sick man. On the contrary, I can't remember when I felt better. Good night, sir. Ten more minutes and I close shop. I'll stay till then. Good night again, Mr. Stone. <laughs> The guy was mad. Didn't I say something about Halloween? Well, I had the two spooks, Crazy Mike and Mr. Baydell. I had the black cat, too. All I needed for the repeat performance was a witch and a broomstick. I got back to Mike's basement room, thinking I'd stay with him till the boys from headquarters got there. Mike! Mike ain't here. Who are you? Randy Stone, Chicago Star. Ah, oh, Johnny told me you're on. Well, I'm glad you got here. Did you take Mike in? I couldn't find him. I'm waiting here for you to show up. He's got a gun. He's planning to use it. Uh, Kelly's upstairs talking to Mrs. Corby now. Now, one of you guys better get down to the corner bar and keep your eye on the accordion player named Baydell. Yeah? Who's he? That's the guy Mike is going to kill. I can't leave here. Maybe you better tell Kelly to go after Baydell and you stay with Miss Corby. <laughs> He'll be plenty happy to get out of there. She's driving him nuts about that black cat. Have you seen the cat? No. I heard him yelling outside and went out and looked around, but she was gone. <laughs> Kelly let me into Mrs. Corby's room. He was looking pleased with himself. Hello, Stone. Oh, you. Well, we're getting places on this thing, aren't we, Mrs. Corby? Well, I convinced her to give me some of the real facts. Good night. And it comes out that she don't think Crazy Mike done it. Do you, Mrs. Corby? I, I... I Mr. Baydell? How do you know? Mike found a gun in his room. Three bullets fired. Where's the gun? Where's the gun? Mike's got it. He's looking for Baydell to give him the rest of the bullets in the head. That's not so good. We got a man at Baydell's room waiting for him to come home. He's at the bar on the corner. I'll go get him. You stay here with Mrs. Corby. All right. Well, Eddie, it looks like your worries are all over. Now, you promised to take the cat, too. There we go again with the cat. Okay, we'll take her. 
I'll be back in a few minutes. Uh, keep the door locked, John. Okay. You didn't tell me about your boyfriend before, Mrs. Corby. I tried to shield him. I, I knew they wouldn't do much to old Mike. Why did he kill him? Nick made fun of him. And uh, Mr. Baydell wanted me for himself. He told me he was with you when the police came to tell you about the shoe. He'd come in about two minutes before they did and made me say it. He came up the fire escape through this window. Well, it'll be over in a few minutes. It will if they take the cat away. If they don't, she... Oh. Who's that? You're doomed, lover. Open up. Don't let him in. I've got to. I've got to hold him for the police. Your persistence would have done you well in the musical field, young man. You're not doing so bad yourself. I saw a rather heavy set gentleman searching for me. You sent him, no doubt? No doubt, and he'll be back. And Mike, where's he? He disappointed me keenly. I waited and waited for him on the corner. Uh, by the way, has my true love told you all? Yeah. Did the sweet, toned deaf person tell you that she was insanely jealous of her husband's relations with a black cat? Don't believe it, Mr. Stone. How come, Vedel? Fifteen minutes ago, you were ready to let Mike get you. Now you're singing a different tune. Mike disappointed me. I would gladly have paid on the street corner. But in a stinking jail? No, I'd rather not. Oh, don't listen to him. He's crazy. You're wasting your time. Did the lady tell you that she came in through the fire escape three or four minutes after the shot was heard? Well, let it go. I'm not the judge of the jury. Oh, very well. Then let us sit here and just listen to the story. That's frightened. It's only thunder. The lights. The lights are out! Now, cut the hysteria. It's only a power failure. I'll be on in a few minutes. Oh, quiet, please. The beauty of darkness was never more necessary than now. What's that? Probably the police. Who is it? Just Mike. Oh, the cat. Take it away, Mike. Mike, please, take it away. The lady's rival. Hi, Mike. Come on, old-timer. Give me that gun. Stay where you are. Don't move. None of you. Can't see in the dark, but I'll shoot at the first thing that moves. The cat. She's looking at me. Oh, Mike, take her away. Mike, the police are downstairs. They've come to straighten everything out. It didn't call me crazy. Uh, poor old Mike, he can't see in the dark room, but Tilly can. <laughs> Thank you, Tilly, Tilly. Tilly will show me where he is so I can shoot him. Mike, Mike, I'm afraid of her. If she touches me. <laughs> you, Mrs. Corby. Mike, I'm coming to that window, and you'll give me that gun. Uh, I got a bullet for you, too, if I have to. Here we are. Here he is. He was there with Nick when it happened. You can see him. He just walked over to him, Tilly, and I'll see your eyes in the dark. Here he is. And I know where to shoot. She's, she's coming home. I watched with a horrible fascination as the cat landed on the floor. She looked around the room carefully, her yellow eyes flashing with hate. Don't let her touch me. Don't. I can't stand it. Easy, Mrs. Corby. You'll excite Mike. She's going to spring at me. I can't stand it. Mike, take her away. I did it. I killed him. Isn't that what you want to know? Now take her away. Take her away. Mike fired straight at Mrs. Corby, but somehow his shot went wild. And then it was all over. Kelly'd been working his way up the fire escape, and he got Mike from behind. Okay, okay, old timer. Let me have the gun. Uh, we evened up for him, didn't we, Kelly? Uh, we evened up for Nick. Come on, Pop. I'm coming. Just a minute now. You listen. Hear that? 
ชีพแพ้ไปนาชีพแพ้ไปนาวิกาเลยชีไม่ไม่ดูแต่ She hated me, and she made me kill him. <laughs> the boys took over, and there was nothing left for me to do. Mrs. Corby turned out to be the missing witch in my Halloween ball. She'd taken the shots at Mike, and then planted the gun in Old Baydell's room. I walked the broken-down musician home. I felt I owed him an apology. I'm sorry about tonight. Everybody makes mistakes, and I picked tonight to make the one of mine. I made a bigger mistake than you did, Mr. Stone. And uh, what was that? When Mike was at the window, I should have shouted, Here I am. But he would have killed you. Yes. Good night, Mr. Stone. Good night, sir. Yeah, I've got a talent for getting mixed up with weird characters. Three out of the four were wacky, off their rockers. Old Mike, Mrs. Corby, Baydell, the accordion player. And the fourth character, of course, is me. And you know what? I'm not so sure about him either. No. Am I, Tilly girl? Oof. I would have sworn that cat said something. Copy, boy. Night Beat, starring Frank Lovejoy, is produced and edited and directed by Warren Lewis. Tonight's script was written by Lou Russoff with music by Frank Worth. The part of Mrs. Corby was played by Lorene Tuttle. Mike was Will Gear. Others in tonight's cast were June Foray, Tudor Owen, Ken Christie, Lamont Johnson, and Lou Krugman. Frank Lovejoy will soon be seen in the Warner Brothers adventure drama Breakthrough. did black cats get such a bad rap? Beware a black cat crossing your path. Way back when, in ancient Egypt, cats were very important. They were revered. They were worshipped. They were the embodiment of deities. And along came Christianity and pagan symbols, customs, traditions. Well, they had to be stigmatized, and they had to be made evil. That's it. Edgar Allan Poe wrote a story called The Black Cat. He was very well aware of the stigmatism of black cats and um, the fact that black cats were the familiars of, of witches and things. And um, interestingly, in real life, Edgar Allan Poe loved cats. He loved animals. And he and his wife, Virginia, had uh, cats uh, in their time. Our next story is very, very, very loosely based on Poe's story, The Black Cat. My co-star, I'm in this one, my co-star is Caroline Monroe, the first lady of fantasy. Caroline has had a marvelous career. She is in the Roger Moore James Bond film, The Spy Who Loved Me from 1977. Some of her fantasy films and genre films include... The Golden Voyage of Sinbad, the Ray Harryhausen offering from 1974. She has been in several Hammer horror films and one of my favorite vampire films, Captain Kronos, Vampire Hunter. In this adaptation, again, forgive me, very, very loosely based on Poe's short story, we thought we'd have some fun and go back to swinging 60s London. 
a little bit of Antonioni's blow up and a little bit of Austin Powers' time travel. That might be a contemporary audience's um, association with swinging 60s London. But we thought we'd set it there and make our unreliable narrator a fashion photographer and make Caroline the uh, wife in Poe's story uh, a fashion model. Anyway, without further ado, here's Caroline Monroe and yours truly in The Black Cat. This court sentences you to be hung by the neck until dead for the crime of murder. Quiet, quiet in this court. Does the defendant have anything to say? Any last words? Boy, well, yes. Yes, I do. Proceed with your statement. Well, Judge, uh, your lordship, members of the jury, it's like this, see? For a most wild yet homely narrative which I'm about to lay on you, I neither expect nor solicit belief. Mad indeed would I be to expect it in a case where my own senses reject their own evidence. Yet mad I am not. And I'm not dreaming. Tomorrow I die, and today I would tell my story without a bunch of blooming lawyers and knobs telling you what to think. I'm basically what you might call a life at a party, certainly in my circle of friends. They'll all tell you. Why, my lawyer didn't bring one bloody mate in here to testify is a mystery and then some. Ever since I was a lad, I got on with people. I loved little animals, and every one me mum and dad would get me, I loved and cared for. The fact that so many dogs and cats went up missing in my time always perplexed them. But I loved every bloody pup, parakeet, goldfish they gave me. They were loyal when friends would just as soon stab you in the bloody back. There is something in the unselfish and self-sacrificing love of a brute which goes directly to the art of him who has had frequent occasion to test the paltry friendship and gossamer fidelity of mere man. And I loved Rita. I can't really believe she's gone now. It seems like just yesterday we met. I was a photographer, my star was on a rise, fashion and adverts for all the big magazines. My work was really getting noticed and I was flying. It was in Rome on a photo shoot for some Italian fashion designer. Right, my lovelies, let's look alive. Lots to do this morning while the weather holds out. Yes, right. Beautiful girls, perfect for selling my spring fashion line. Frederico Fortunato knows the beauty, or my name's are not Frederico Fortunato. <laughs> right, very nice, lovely. Now you girls there, yes you bit, you drape yourselves over the fountain that way, lovely. And you girls, yes, darling, you over there, lounge about the other way, right, 
lovely. And you, what's your name, darling? You with the raven black hair. Rita. Right, Rita. You just stay right where you are in center. Lovely. I hope the fountain lovely. don't distract from my fashions. I'm not paying all this money for a famous British photographer to shoot the water. But my clothes and the pretty girls. Don't you worry about that, Federico. You did hire the best in all of England and Europe, for that matter. You hire the one and only Alfie. He's brill, the best of the best. I hope you're right. Bet your bloody boots is right. When the women of the world open their cosmos and vogues, they'll only see what I, Alfie, want them to see. He won't give a toss about the Trevi fountain or any fountain after I work my magic. Oh, Alfie, girls, our photographer is a heel. That's right, Meatball, now step aside and let the maestro work his magic. All right then, girls, here we go. You work it now. Let's just burn a few rolls and warm up our engine, yeah? Lovely birds you selected, Bill. Gonna make old Frederico Fortunato look good, we are. Hold it, hold it, Bill. What's it got there? That, that raven-haired bird in front. What's it got? A bloody cat. Uh, you, a centre down front, get your uh, get your cat out of there. Where did that animal come from? No, it's not my cat, sir. I don't know where it comes from. It just showed up out of nowhere. Uh, what's its name, Bill? It's... The cat or the model, Alf. Not the cat, you burnt the girl. Beauty she is, and more. Name's Rita. Boy, Rita, may I have a word with you for a moment, my lovely? Uh, Bill, give the girls ten. All right, ladies, relax. Ten minutes, coffee at the caravan. We just start. Uh, we break. Where is Alpha going? It's, uh, it's gonna rain on oh, me, on oh, my Nice pussy. Thanks. But it isn't mine. He just kind of showed up and started hanging around with us girls. Oh, black and mysterious black as your beautiful hair. What's your name again? Rita. The name's Rita. And I certainly know who you are, Mr. Alfie. <laughs> call me Alf. My friends call me Alf. Alf. Alf, it's been my ambition to do a shoot with you. Except it looks like that's not on the cards today with this storm. What do you say we warm up and get cosy indoors? My car's just there and the hotel's nearby. Really? Oh, I'd love to. Well, let's go then. I've got a bottle and it's early. The hotel bar is just waking up. Barman, I'll have uh, the lady. What will the beautiful lady? Ginger ale. Ginger ale, huh? Yeah, ginger ale, don't drink. The lady will have ginger ale. I'll have a vodka on the rocks. Three fingers. Okay, Three. Allora, ginger ale per la bella signorina. Right. Ginger ale. E un vodka per il signore subito. Three fingers. So, So you don't drink. We'll soon fix that. That won't do at all. Developed a taste for it. The occasional beer, you know, and, and Christmas punch, but that's about as strong as my spirits get. By God, you're beautiful. Dark, black hair, like a gypsy. <laughs> How'd you fall into this modelling game and wind up here in Rome on one of my gigs? Oh, I don't know, really. It's, 
It's the usual thing. There's a friend of mine who took some photos of me when I was at school and he entered one in a contest in a local newspaper and an agent saw it and then one job seemed to lead to another and here I am. Here you are. Yeah, same agent. And now I'm on a fashion shoot in Rome with the great fashion photographer Alfie. With yeah. me. <laughs> That's pretty amazing, eh? Eccoci! Un vodka per il signore e tre dita sul suo culo per la signorina un ginger ale. Cheers. Cheers. But what I really fancy is running a pet shop. Oh, very young. A pet shop? You serious? Why would you want to do that? Why not? You make it sound such an horrible thing. Why tie yourself to one thing? Be a slave, not a master? You should be a model. Be an actor, travel and see the world. Well, lots of women go into business now and open shops and things. Take me, for instance. This fashion photography stuff is just a stepping stone. A stepping stone? That's right. You ever hear of Stanley Kubrick? Yeah, of course. I adore his films. Oh, I went to the 2001 premiere. Well, there it is. He's my role model, see? I don't want to be stuck shooting birds for wankers and their terrible fashion lines. I want to make films. You know something else about Kubrick? He started just like me, a photographer, off magazine and such. And look at him now, working with big stars like Peter Sellers and Kirk Douglas, big contract with MGM. I want to travel the world and tell stories, no, make great no, art. No, and... What the bloody hell is all that? Wow. It's Pluto. It's that black cat I found this morning at a shoot. It's all right. It's the lady's pussycat. Here you go. Just uh, go fetch us a saucer of milk right now, Jim. Oh, he's beautiful, isn't he, Alfie? Listen to him purr. Beautiful as you are, Peter. I think I'll name my pet shop after him for luck. Because he followed me here. It's a sign. Pet him, Alfie. He likes you. Listen to him purr. I thought black cats were bad luck and all. Ow! Little bugger bit me! house on fire me and Rita well at the start anyway but things in life don't always work out the way you plan just a few months back in London and all Rita bless her heart made enough as a model to open a pet shop then she just quit the cheesecake game just like that and the pet shop filled it right up she did like a regular Dr. Doolittle everything but the push me pull you Pluto a little Roman adoptee made himself right at home and the shop was home because me and Rita lived in the flat right above. Nice middle class sort of place with a garden out the back. I'd closed my photography studio and had turned down shoots because I was going to make films, see? Be a regular Richard Lester, right? <laughs> well... Stupid bastards. 
They can't push Alfie around, they can't. And that good-for-nothing agent of mine. Ha! Son of a bitch is worthless, like teats on a ball. Oh, the studio won't make your film. I turned you down again. Bastards. Oh, Alf. Right, bloody stupid, unimaginative, bean-counting bastards. Oh, darling, I wish you'd take that script over to Hammer. Just a wee rewrite, and they, they'd have another smashing vampire film. They're so popular now. They'd love to have a talent like yours. I've been telling you that for months now, since you were fired. I wasn't fired. I quit those mindless bastards. And Hammer, what, me? Lower myself to make a load of cheap vampire pictures? That's your idea of the way up? I could bloody well see bloody Stanley, bloody Kubrick, making an all tits and blood, bloody Ingrid Pitt picture, I could. Really, Rita, kick a man in the balls when he's down, why don't you? You're upsetting Pluto, Alfie, please. All the animals are getting upset. Here, Pluto. Here, kitty, kitty. Bollocks, screw the animals, you and your mad Dr. Doolittle dreams. Screw your canaries and your ferrets and your corgis and that bloody ugly monkey. And especially screw Pluto. You, you... You black fiend! Oh, Alfie, what have you done? You, you, you gouged poor Pluto's eye out! Pluto. Not to put too fine a point on it, but that mongrel avoided me pretty solid for a few weeks after that. Bloody beast never really did like me. Well, I was under a lot of bloody pressure. Of course, uh, booze wasn't helping, found myself getting downright depressed, and I knew I'd need to make changes. So it was the uppers, and then the downers, and then the bennies, and the hash, and the pills, and you know, I popped them like mad. I tried to revive my photography work, even set up a dark room to develop my film and make prints. Uh, set it up in the back room, Arita's pet emporium. I was in that dark room the day everything turned, developing pictures of some wannabe band that fancied themselves to be the next Rolling Stones or something. Must have forgot to fasten the door properly. They wanted the pictures that afternoon. I was running late with them, and Pluto pushed the bloody damn door open. Bloody hell, flooding the room with light and ruining the afternoon's work. I, I, I grabbed the one-eyed son of a bitch and choked, choked it, and then threw it across the room. Over the top, I realise now. But, you see, you have to see it from my end. Anyway, I had to do something with the lifeless carcass of the little Pluto, and so I scooped him up and took him out to the garden. I thought maybe I'd bury him, till Rita Pluto ran away. So I got outside to the garden, and I admit I don't remember a thing much after that. I do remember going back in to get my camera, the Hasselblad, and I remember taking pictures. I remember I was working in my developing room, developing some pictures of Pluto's lifeless body hanging from the tree, swaying to and fro, to and fro, to and fro. What is it, dear? Look. Look, someone's killed poor little Pluto and hung him from the tree. Who could, who, who could be so cruel, so deranged and evil? I don't know. You've got me, love. Terrible thing. Terrible thing. 
poor bastard. Well, to say things went from bad to worse would be an understatement. Rita's business bloody flourished. My career was in the crapper. We weren't sleeping together anymore. I don't remember the last time I shared a bed, come to think of it. I was sleeping in the dark room at the time of the fire. Oh, oh yeah, the fire. Lots of testimony and witnesses. Lit marijuana cigarettes and chemicals for developing photographs don't mix. <laughs> anyway, the whole thing burnt down to the ground that day. Pet shop and all, all our clothes and all my photo gear gone, up in smoke. Rita was heartbroken over the animals. Most were saved. We found another flat. Insurance paid for that. Rita got out of the pet shop business. I hadn't any business for a year. She got a job at a television studio and I started staring at the walls. A curious thing, as I already testified, the new flat came with a cat. Just showed up one day. And the thing I still can't wrap my brain around, it was the spitten image of Pluto. Looked so much like that late beastie that Rita, who took to it right away and vice versa, called it Pluto Junior. This new flat we got, it, it had a fruit cellar sort of thing. Down there in the dank and dark, we kept some of our old effects from before that survived the fire. I don't know what possessed me that fateful day. That day that I borrowed the axe from the neighbour, I went down that dank hole to destroy what little was left of my old photographs and reminders of what was left of my career. I had opened a door to the cellar and had just started down when Pluto Jr. bolted from the windowsill and dashed right under my bloody feet. Me up I did, the black bastard. Down I went. Could have been killed. Could have fallen on the axe, for Christ's sake. I lay there, dazed for some unknown god-awful time. Finally, I got up. I was still... I still had the axe in my hands when I heard Rita come down. Hello, darling. Nice to see you. It's been a little while. I'm leaving you, Alf. You can't say that I've held you back. I've done all I could to support you and more. Kept a roof over you, fed you, even drank with you. It's over, Alf. I wish I had something brilliant to say. I wish I could say at least the early days were fun, but they weren't. They were shit. <laughs> Goodbye, Alf. I'm taking the monkey. I can't find Pluto Jr. anywhere, but I hope he pisses all over your bed. It was then that I caved her skull with the axe. was that. I loved Rita. But this turn of events could get me into real trouble, I remember thinking to myself. This just wouldn't do. And then the idea came to me all at once. Crystal bloody clear it was as a Blackpool morning. See, there was a small recess in the cellar wall just opposite the stair, perfect for Rita's body. Made to fit. The landlord had been doing some repairs before we rented it, and 
There was this great pile of bricks and some leftover cement. Perfect, see? So I, I got to work as Pluto Jr. watched. I walled Rita up and did a pretty good job of it for somebody who'd never done a lick of masonry in his life. It was just about dawn when it was all finished and I was knackered. I climbed the stairs and sprawled out on the chaise when... Bloody hell! What could that be, I thought. I answered the door. It was the police. <laughs> You've heard their testimony here in this courtroom. Not much I could add, except I still don't understand. They said that Rita hadn't shown up at work at the TV station for three whole days. Was missing three days earlier. How long was I on that sofa? How long did I sleep? They searched the house. I, I played it cool, but couldn't believe I'd been out that long. Maybe it was the pills, the bit of pennies, or the downers, or the booze, or the bars, or the goofballs, or the pot. <laughs> and I, I led them all over the flat to show them that there'd been no foul play. Then to the cellar, they looked around. Everything seemed to be going my way. But they made me uncomfortable, itchy. I stood in front of my handiwork, my brickwork, satisfied that I'd gotten away clean, and they were just headed back up the stairs when they stopped. They all turned to me and stared down at me. They started descending the stairs, coming right for me when... No, it couldn't be. Couldn't be Rita crying out from behind a wall. She was dead. I caved her skull and buried her dead, dead, dead behind the wall three days ago. A constable seized me, pinned me to the ground as the detectives took up tools and smashed the wall, resting the bricks out, one by one, tearing them down until it was all ghastliness. It was my Rita. My beautiful Rita. <laughs> See? See? She is dead. It couldn't have been her crying out. She is dead. And that's when I saw Pluto Jr., the source of the crying. Pluto Jr. perched on the head of Rita's corpse, alive, trapped with her behind the wall, crying out, crying out, crying out. The infernal bastard jumped off and ran past me, running over my chest as the police kept me pinned down, all of them. Every mother's son, a look of horror on their faces. Their faces. The horror. God, if I'd only had a camera at that moment, what a bloody good picture that would have been. We have one more Black Cat story for you in the program, and, um, well, I'm beside myself. I still don't know what we're calling this little trilogy of Tales of Black Cats, Tales of the Black Cat. Oh, um, anyway. Uh, by the way, Pope Gregory the Ninth, 
1233 AD declared black cats to be the incarnation of the devil himself. Well, it's all downhill for black cats then. As a matter of fact, black cats were so stigmatized that they almost went extinct in Europe. Ever since black cats have become, in myth and legend, the consorts and familiars of witches. Happy Halloween. Thanks, Pope. Our next offering, you got it, it's called The Black Cat, and it features one of my favorite actors. Um, marvelous voice, incredible intensity, perfect for playing Poe's Mad Men. And yes, it's another Poe adaptation. Uh, the actor is Peter Lorre. This, uh, Peter Lorre, before I tell you about the episode, and if you're uh, an old-time radio fan or a Peter Lorre fan, you've probably already heard it. But I love it, and I, and I think it's worth a revisit once in a while. Lorre became famous worldwide in 1931 in a film made by Fritz Lang entitled M. Lorre played an innocent-faced child murderer and uh, still is a film that packs a powerful punch, and I highly recommend it if you haven't seen it. Uh, track it down. Our next Black Cat story uh, comes from a series. Uh, it's another NBC series, by the way, radio series, called Mystery in the Air. And this show was a summer replacement show. It ran from July to September in 1947. And again, this is a favorite episode. Another adaptation of Poe's The Black Cat, and it stars Peter Lorre. Without further ado, off we go. Mystery in the Air, starring Peter Lorre, presented by Camel Cigarettes. of this court that you be hanged by the neck until you are dead and may God have mercy on your soul no I I neither expect nor solicit belief for this wild story I I would be mad to expect it yet mad I'm not and very surely I do not dream but but while there is still time I I don't know why I I feel compelled to report a series of mere household events and their consequences. These events have terrified, have tortured, have destroyed me. Perhaps some are more calm, more, more logical, but certainly far less excitable than I will be able to explain them. I, I cannot. I, I can only tell you the facts, and that I have to do today because tomorrow I die. Each week at this time, Camel Cigarettes bring you Peter Lorre in the excitement of the great stories of the strange and unusual, of dark and compelling masterpieces 
culled from the four corners of world literature. Tonight, Edgar Allan Poe's immortal American classic, The Black Cat. Mystery in the Air, starring Peter Lorre. Brought to you by Camel Cigarettes. Experience is the best teacher. Try a camel. Let your own experience tell you why more people are smoking camels than ever before. Give your T-Zone the experience of enjoying a camel. And see if you don't join the millions of other smokers who say, Camels suit my T-Zone to a T. Your T-Zone, that's T for taste and T for throat, is your true proving ground for any cigarette. See if Camel's rich, full flavor isn't a delightful experience for your taste. If Camel's cool mildness isn't more than welcome to your throat, try a Camel. <laughs> no, believe me, Dan, there was nothing, absolutely nothing in my childhood which, which forecast the terrible events that were to come. No, as a child, I, I was very gentle, I... I got along well with everyone, but for most I liked animals, yes. <laughs> All kinds of animals. And, and then I married quite young, and I, I was very happy to find that my wife shared my feelings. <laughs> very soon we, we had quite a collection. Oh, we had, we had birds and goldfish. We had a dog and some rabbits, and we had a cat. I'll never forget the day my wife brought it home. <laughs> hello, hello, you're home so early. Look, Charles, look. Look what I brought. Oh, oh, look at it. Oh, the little kid. <laughs> Where did you get it, darling? Oh, the poor little thing. Some dogs were chasing it, oh. and I just rescued it in time. Yes, it was lovely. so frightened. Yes, but it isn't frightened anymore. Oh, it seems to love you, Charles. Hmm. Hmm? Then that's yeah. not strange. All animals do. Yes, yes, yes. Nobody's going to hurt you, kitty, kitty, no. <laughs> How about some milk, huh? <laughs> Yes. There, you see. <laughs> oh, you must have been very hungry. Yes. Hey, what's your name, huh? I don't suppose he has a name. He is so young. I don't think he belongs to anybody. Well, then, then we have to give him a name. You mean we can keep him? Keep him? What are you talking about? He has no home. We can't turn him out in the streets, can oh, we? Oh, Charles, I was hoping you'd let him stay. Of course, but he, he must have a name. Yes, let's see. Oh, you're so black, yes. All black, beautiful. Not a single white mark. Oh, oh, I have it. <laughs> He's as black as the devil. Let's call him Pluto. <laughs> yes, we'll call you Pluto. Well, Pluto grew up to be a remarkably beautiful cat, and of all the animals in our house... He became my favorite and my playmate, yes, and until it all changed, yes, and as the years went on, my, my character suffered a radical change, and everything changed. Huh? Why? Well, I, I'm ashamed. I, I hate to admit it, it, it through, uh, through, through intemperance, yes, through intemperance. And then as, uh, as drink became more and more necessary to me, I... I became more and more moody and irritable. Charles? 
you going? I don't have to tell you where I'm going. Oh, Charles, what's happening what to you? What do you mean, what's happening to me? Well, you never used to go out every night to those vile oh, please places. Stop nagging. Stop it. I go out because I can't stand listening to you. Nag, nag, nag all day long. I don't know what's come over you. There. Uh, see? <laughs> Why don't you learn from Pluto? It's only a cat. He he doesn't ask me where I'm going. Yeah, that's right. You never do, no. Come here, Pluto. <laughs> yes, I like it. Come here. Be careful, Charles. Don't pick him up uh, like that. Don't no, you're hurting hurt him. him. Him, I never you... hurt him. I was... He bit me. He bit me. You, you never mind. I'll show you. Don't, Charles, don't. 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 Yes, I I hate to admit it, but I was so furious I kicked Pluto and I kicked him again and hard and well, the next morning I I saw that his ear was torn and I was filled with remorse for what I'd done. From then on, <laughs> Pluto ran away in terror whenever I approached and and that in turn made me more and more irritated and and in the end it it was sheer perverseness, nothing else, yes. Sheer and unexplainable perverseness that that made me do what I did. Yeah, I, I blush to admit it, but uh, one morning I I strangled the poor animal. Yeah, I I killed it only because I knew that that it had loved me and and because because it had given me no reason for offense. No, I I'm offering no excuse. I I'm only recounting what happened. Well, in. In the evening, I I went to the inn as usual, and I came home very late, and I fell fast asleep with my clothes on. Then I was awakened suddenly. What? Charles! Charles, wake up! Charles! What's the matter? There must be a fire. I smell smoke. Good heavens! Look at it! It's our house. Oh. Our house is burning. Come on, darling. Come. We'll be trapped. Come on, hurry up. Oh. Quick. The stairs are on fire. There we go. I can't. I... Don't talk. Don't talk, sweetheart. Perhaps I, I can get you through the flames. Don't breathe, darling. Here. Here. Here's the front door. Here. We made it. We're safe. Oh, Charles. Look, our house. Hey, anybody else in there? No. no. Nobody else. Uh, just as well. Never could get them out now. Are you the owner? Yes. That was our house. Well, you haven't got much left then. We can't save it now. Stand back. Stand back, everybody. The roof's going to fall in. Stand back. There it goes! Well, 
It's down now. Funny, nothing is left but that one wall in the middle. Look at it. What about it? Well, look at it on the wall. Hey, that is strange. Uh, What are you talking about? What's strange? There, there on the wall. It's still standing. Uh, Marks on the plaster. Marks? What marks? What's the matter? You blind? Right up there on the wall, that black figure. Oh, Oh, yeah. (laughs) It looks like a cat. Yeah, it does. The smoke must have done it, but it certainly does look like a cat. What looks like a cat? There, and it's got one floppy ear. Who's got floppy ear? That's really funny. Funny, 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 huh? It's not funny. It is not funny at all, you hear? I know what it is. You know who it is? Yes, it's Pluto. I I recognize him. Yes, there, see? His ear is torn, huh? Oh, you, you beast. That hideous beast. It's, it's come back to, to haunt me. Leave me alone. You hear? I can't stand it. I, I can't. I can't. Get some water, somebody. This man's fainted. <laughs> Black Cat is dead, killed by its master. The house is burned to the ground, with everything in it completely destroyed. Now the scene is the almost deserted, candle-lit taproom of a local inn. Don't you think you'd better go on home, sir? Hmm? It's getting late. <laughs> home, huh? <laughs> you should see the terrible place where, where we're living now. Yeah, yeah, I heard you. Lost everything in that fire. Lost everything, yes. I, I lost everything. I, I lost my house. I lost everything. Well, uh, how about that black cat of yours you used to talk about all the time? Huh? Uh, what was his name? What was his name? Pluto. Oh, yeah. Yes. Pluto's gone, too. Oh, I, I tell you, I miss him. I, I miss him very much. <laughs> and if you miss him that much, why don't you get another cat? Give me a drink. Ah, it's getting pretty late, sir. I mean, well, won't your wife be expecting you? Give me a drink. Yes, sir. I'll have to fetch another bottle. Why don't I get another cat, huh? That's what he's saying. Well, why don't I? No reason I shouldn't. There's no reason to be in the deeps of despair just, just because of a cat. If I get another cat, uh, maybe, maybe I'll be able to forget her. What's that? Oh, there's a cat now. Yes, uh, sitting on top of the table. <laughs> Black cat, huh? That's strange. I've been staring at that table for five minutes, I... Uh, I could swear there was no cat on it. Anyway, where did you come from, huh? Oh, you... You're a beautiful cat, yes. You, <laughs> you're just as black as Pluto. You, you know, except you... You've got a splotch of white on your chest. Yeah. That's right, you know. 
Oh, yes, come. Come sit on my lap, huh? Oh, yeah. Kitty, kitty, yes, you're a nice kitty. Oh, you're a nice cat. Yeah. Like... Here you are, sir. Where did this cat come from? Cat? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Big one, isn't he? I don't know where it came from. Or how it got in, either, for that matter. Never seen it around here before. Don't know who it belongs to? No. No, as far as I'm concerned, it belongs to you, if you hmm. want it. Can't keep it here. My wife doesn't like cats. Especially black ones. Black cats, huh? <laughs> how stupid. Yeah. Say, I want it. Yes, sir. I want it very much. I'll take it home with me right now. This is such a wonderful cat. Just since last week, it's made itself so much at home. Why, well, you think it had lived here always? Yes, yes, I've noticed that. It reminds me so much of Pluto. Yes, but this one has a patch of white on its chest. Don't forget that. Yes, that's right, dear. But I can't help wondering. I wonder what ever became of Pluto. He disappeared the day of the fire. I know, I know he disappeared. and <laughs> Well, maybe he... He knew the house was going to burn down. Oh, see how it loves you. It's rubbing against your leg, just the way Pluto used to. Pluto, Pluto! Stop talking about Pluto! Darling, I didn't mean anything. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, dear. I always talk about how much this new cat resembles Pluto. It, it just makes me nervous. I, look, actually, there, there's hardly any resemblance at all, really. And, except that, Except that they're both black. This one has a white patch on its chest and... Oh, the poor thing. Charles, look, his ear is torn. Huh? See? What? Here under the fur. What? Oh, I never noticed that before. Neither did I. Why, it's just the way Pluto's... I mean... Go ahead, say it, say it, say it. It's torn, it's torn, yes. Yeah. Just the way Pluto's ear was torn when I kicked him, huh? That's it, isn't it? Well, he must have been in a fight or something. <sighs> but it's curious we didn't notice Curious, it. huh? You have no idea how curious it is. <laughs> no idea. Get that cat out of my sight. Charles, you're mad. Get it out. How can you act that way about a poor dumb animal? Take Especially it out one that loves you so much. Oh, now you've frightened it, dear. Get away from me, you hear me? <laughs> the way you talk, anybody thinks you don't even like the poor like cat. Like it, huh? Like it. I, I hate it. I tell you, I hate it. I, I hate it. I, I hate it. <laughs> Yes, in, in a short time, the cat had been with us. I, I had come to look upon it with unutterable loathing. Why, why I don't know, yet the more I hated it, the more affectionate it acted toward me. Wherever I went, it followed. Whenever I sat down, it, it would spring upon my knees and, and cover me with its loathsome caresses, as, as if this were not enough to the white patch on its chest, which originally... It, it had been very indefinite in shape, but, but gradually it assumed a very definite outline, yes, the, the unmistakable and, and ghastly shape of the gallows, a terrible engine of horror, of agony, and of death. I, I longed to destroy the beast, but I was prevented by an absolute unreasonable dread. I, I was sure I was losing my mind. Oh. 
Charles? Are you going out again? Yes, I'm going out. I don't know when I'll be back. Oh. Before you go, do you suppose you... Why, what is it? Will you help me bring up some wood from the cellar? Why do you always want more wood? The house is cold. You know I haven't been feeling well. I'm not strong enough to carry it myself. strong enough. All right, come on, I'll help you. You might have thought of this before. Look out! What? Oh, Oh, that's cat. That's a beast again. It's always under my feet. It tried to trip me on the stairs. Oh, no, I'm sure it didn't. I'll get rid of that beast once and for all. I'll get... Charles! Put down that crowbar. Get out of my way. No, no, stop. I say get out of my way. Let, no. let go of my arm. Please, Charles, you Let go of my doing. arm. Are you going to let go? Oh, please. I said let go. Oh. Why didn't you let me go? Yes, she, she'd fallen dead without a groan. My blind rage, my rage against the cat, I'd struck my wife and killed her. Well, <laughs> nothing I can do about it now. All I could do was, was to set myself to the task of concealing the body. Yes, I, I thought and I deliberated and, and then it occurred to me that, yes, in the Middle Ages, they used to wall up their victims and... I determined to do the same thing. Yes, behind the wall in a cellar. I managed to dislodge a section of bricks near the chimney and, and in a hole behind them I propped the body. Then I carefully laid the bricks back in their original position and, and when I had finished, no one, no one could have told that the wall had been disturbed at all. Well, I, I could say to myself triumphantly, Here at least, my labor has not been in vain. My next step then was was to look for the beast that had been a cause of so much misery. But but then I became aware that that it had completely disappeared. Three days passed and and still my tormentor did not appear. Oh, it's impossible to describe or, or to imagine... A deep sense of my relief. For the first time in months, I, I slept. Yes, I, oh, I slept. Even with a burden of murder on my soul. <laughs> yes, some few inquiries were made about my wife's whereabouts, and a search of the house was conducted, but but nothing was discovered. Oh, uh, I finally could look upon my future secure. Good day, sir. Sorry to disturb you again, sir. No. <laughs> it's you, Sergeant. <laughs> Is there anything I can do for you? Well, they're still puzzled about your wife's disappearance. Puzzled, huh? <laughs> well, so am I. Well, some of her friends have been around at the police station. What's that got to do with me, huh? You've already searched us twice. What do you want? Oh, I know, sir, but... Well, the captain sent me and the constable here to yes. look around just once more to be sure there's no clues been overlooked. Mm-hmm. This will be the last time, sir. Only a matter of routine. Mm-hmm. We won't bother you again. All right. Come in. Thank you, sir. Come on, Joe. Right. 
Where would you like to look first? Well, we might as well begin with the cellar. Cellar, huh? All right, yes. Right down these steps. I'll come with you. Yes, I always say searching a house is like getting ahead in the world. You start at the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I see you. It's very funny. Well, come on, Constable. Get to work. Right. While they searched, I folded my arms and watched. As before, they discovered nothing, nothing. But as they were about to depart, the glee my heart was too strong to be restrained. I burned to say but one word, yes, just one word, but by way of triumph. And, and as they started up the steps, I said, uh, See, have you noticed... Uh, this is a very well-constructed house, you know. Hey, gentlemen, you're not going, are you? Yes, it's a... It's an excellently well-constructed house. <laughs> You've never seen such a well-constructed house in a, in a frenzy of my bravado upon that very portion of the brickwork behind which stood the corpse of my wife. I... I rapped with my cane. <laughs> May heaven deliver me from the arch-fiend. What was that? Mother of mercy, what was that? Wind, probably. Wind? That's not the wind. It came when you hit this wall here. Whatever it is, it's behind these bricks, Sarge. Here, here. take this crowbar and knock no, that no. wall down. Right. Wait a minute, you... Keep quiet, you... you. Wait a minute, where are you going? Upstairs. You stay right here. Huh? Hey, this is new plaster. It hasn't even had time to set you. Ah, pull it down. Right. Here she comes. Look out. that horrible-looking thing sitting on our head. It's a cat! How did that cat get in there? I know how it got in there. Yes, I know. I, I must have walled it up in a tomb. and I never knew it, no. Look at that red mouth. Those burning eyes. You, you hideous. You beast. You monster. You, you are the devil. You made me a murderer. Now for three days you've been in there. Waiting, waiting. To send me to the gallows. Well, the hangman will get me. Yes, I, I hope. I hope you're satisfied. I hope you're satisfied. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the program. I hope you enjoyed the three tales of cats. War of cats that are black, of, of oh, whatever. Um, thank you. And I hope you subscribe. We have lots of fun things coming up. 
Um, and in the meantime, please don't break any mirrors, don't walk under ladders, don't open umbrellas indoors. If you see a black cat crossing your path, well, pet it. They're not going to hurt you. For Ray Harryhausen. Captain's log. I grow restless as the days seemingly grow longer. I shall not rest until all of Badra's ships are burnt. Until she herself is destroyed. You must kill her, my handsome and still skeptical Captain Sinbad. The only good pirate is a dead one. I live to serve Baghdad. It will be my pleasure to hunt these pirates down. Aha! It takes an old pirate to hunt a pirate, eh? Brace yourself, Captain Bula! The pirates are upon us! Their ship comes alongside us! Prepare to be boarded! Captain Sinbad! It's the She-Demon Pirate! You remind me of only one other swordsman with such skill. Who? Me! What is that in that pile? This? Simply the blood of a siren mixed into a potion that I now drink. Look! She changes, Captain! My eyes deceive me! She is transforming into a great beast! Harun, the lamp! Give me the lamp! Get ready to fight, men! Yes, yes Captain! Fight! Fight! And defend this ship with your eyes, men! Redfield Arts Audio presents Season 13, starring Rick Deskin, Mark Redfield, Brink Stevens, and Andy Schrem. Come on, man. Open up. Somebody call 901. I think I hear well, it's opening night of the Majestic Theater's 13th season of their annual big ticket item, A Seattle Christmas Carol. And I, stage manager Nick Papadakis, call me Pop, they all do has locked himself all alone inside the tech booth, dressed as Ebenezer Scrooge, but I'm getting way ahead of my story. Hi, I'm here to see Jane Bigelow, please. I bet you would. And what makes you so special? I'm sorry? Of course you are. Who are you? Oh, I'm sorry. We know that. I'm sorry. I'm Nick Papadakis. I'm the new associate stage manager. Oh, you're the lucky lottery winner. I'll buzz her down. Take a seat. I was about to sit when through the stairwell doors popped. Hi, I'm Jane Bigelow, 
ASM for the Majestic. You must be none other than Nick Papa. Pa- Papadakis. Papa Nick. Just call me Nick. Maybe I'll just call you Pop. Come on, I'll give you the tour, and we'll be in time to hear the director's pep talk before the rehearsal this afternoon. The first person she took me to see was the head stage manager, Amanda. Everybody calls her Commander Reese. My fault. I started it. But don't ever call her that to her face. She'll deck you. Amanda, this is our new associate, Nick Papa's... Nick Papadakis. Nice to meet you. I look forward to working with you. Nice meeting you, Papadakis. Pop. Just call him Pop. Everybody does. Nice meeting you, Nick. Nice meeting you. Is she okay? Eh, It's been a little rough around here lately for everybody. It's been brutal. And then all the weirdness, all the little freak accidents and things that have been happening. Nerves are a little frayed. Maybe it's the handiwork of Jack Fairbank. Pop, don't ever mention the theater ghost again. That's taboo. Never, ever, never. You are fearless leader. One of the finest directors I've worked with. And one of the finest writers to ever put words in my mouth. Thank you, Chip Bateman, an actor's actor. Yours is the finest Scrooge we've ever seen in a local scene. High praise coming from you, sir. He doesn't make these speeches before every rehearsal, does he? Shh. Yes. And I just want to tell you all, my heart is bursting with pride at what you've done. Oh no, who has done this? Villainy. That is evil in this place. Elska, what happened? You see a ghost? Look on this with your own eyes, Tank. I'm looking. What am I seeing? Nothing. You see nothing. All my beautiful clothes for Christmas Carol gone. Jacques Fairbanks. You go too far this time. Mortachi tua. I don't know. I think our ghosts have been messing around a bit. But I'm hearing rumors. Rumors? That maybe somebody else is behind all this. Somebody who wants to maybe close the theater and sell the building. I hear those rumors too. Jerry Jerome, bastardo. That's what I hear. Jack? No, Nick. Jack. Don't you know any better than to sneak up on a ghost? Wait, you can see me? Hear me? Like Hamlet's old man. I hate playing Cratchit. We should switch roles one year, like Olivier and Gilgood did at the Old Vic. Switch playing Scrooge and Cratchit nightly? Yes! You're mad as a hatter. You'd never remember all the lines at your age anyway. Chip has a good point, Herb. Scrooge has lines? (laughs) I'd never known it, the way you mumble and stumble around on stage. You! Son of a bitch! Stand by. Come on, Hercules. I only weigh 49 pounds. Stop squirming. I swear, I'm going to drop you on your head. You drop me, you weenus. I'm going to tell Jane that you touched me. Why, you? (laughs) Gotten away with it, too. If it wasn't for you meddling spooks. Now give me my scrapbook. Oh, that feeling. To recapture that feeling again. What a glorious night. You were marvelous, Jack. That's what it's all about. That's life in the theater. 